0: Hi and welcome to show number 16 of the El Capsito Travel Talks, a podcast where people share travel stories and adventures. My name is Tony Lloyd and I'm your host. First of all I'd like to thank all the people who have been listening in so far and for the new people I'd like to welcome you and encourage you to subscribe. Please take a look at our Facebook page for the written stories and if you're someone who likes to write we're still looking for some written stories. If you'd like to help support our show Please take a look at our podcast notes to see how you could donate. For today's show, I talk with a travel journalist from one of the most popular radio stations in Austria about how he started his career, some of the adventures that he's been on, and how COVID has changed the direction of his career. So please get yourself a cup of tea or a coffee and enjoy the show.
1: My name is johnny bliss i am a travel journalist i'm originally from canada but i live and work in austria but i was hardly in austria for well over a decade because i've had a travel column called johnny's journeys which has enabled me to travel around the world professionally
0: so we met i guess it's about three years now here in cuenca ecuador where you were staying here and then we also did a an interview together where you interviewed me and Just to let you know, you were like one of my inspiration for starting this podcast. After we air this interview, I will post the interview that we did originally together, so the audience could hear that. Excellent. Tell us a little bit about your background before you started traveling.
1: Okay, well, I left Canada when I was 13 years old. My parents broke up when I was a little kid. Which led to me being sort of used to being a little bit ungrounded, if that makes any sense. Okay. Um, I think it's easier to become a traveler, or, or there's more of a compulsion to become a traveler, if you, if if your roots were not necessarily strong in a given place as, as a child. But anyways, when I was thirteen, my father moved me, much against um, against. The desires of my mother and somewhat against my desires to to California, where I lived in San Francisco. You know, it was complicated for me. He, he asked me, oh, well, did, did you want to go? And I thought maybe I do, but yeah, also I had no idea what another place a so far away would be like. I think in the end, it was a really good thing that I went there. It really broadened my perspective because I grew up in a small community near Vancouver, which was kind of limited in a way. It was a rural community. And then I was suddenly I was in San Francisco and it was completely different demographics, completely different lived experience of people. And mm-hmm. it was sort of, I mean, it was, it really freaked me out at the time, but I think it's, it was an excellent start to a traveler's life because here I was, I was middle teenage years and I had left behind kind of what I, what I knew. And I was in this, in this new world. Then I stayed in San Francisco for about San Francisco, Oakland Bay area for about 10 years. I tried to start a record label and uh, that didn't, I guess it kind of succeeded, but on life support, I didn't. Like, it died the second I stopped working on it, <laughs> but I was able to pay my rent with it, so there's that. It was it was like a mixed thing, but I I just wanted to get away from, <laughs> from America, because I felt like even when I was making lots of money, I wasn't happy, and I didn't really achieve what I set out to do, and uh, it, it was always just like this massive struggle, and I just felt like, what is the meaning of any of this? So then I uh, saved up some money, booked a one-way flight to Europe and moved to 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 Europe where I wasn't legally allowed to live but um, that was a technicality that I worked my way through. And
0: how did you choose Vienna?
1: Vienna chose me. I had so one of my failed business that I tried to start was based around trip-hop music. I I really liked trip-hop music, Portishead, Massive Attack and I found out that there were lots of really cool trip-hop bands around the world so and this sounds really dated today I wanted to start a a business called (laughs) TripHopSource.com (laughs) <laughs> Which now just, I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's such a early 2000s idea. Okay. But anyway, I made contact with an Austrian trip hop band or a singer from an Austrian chip hop band. I, I bought their entire discography. They were fantastic. And then you we gonna tell of, us the name. Yes. Yeah, They're not on Spotify, but you can find them on YouTube. If you look up Sin Mona Moore, that's the friend who who introduced who I got in touch with and okay. who uh, I eventually came to visit. Nothing happened to the business. It was okay. just an idea that went nowhere. But uh, I struck up a friendship. And then when I was in the UK a couple of years later, I realized that I needed to get out of the UK. It was super expensive. I didn't like the food. <laughs> to the Brits, I, I say I like London a lot more now. But the issue then was I had friends and I couldn't reach them. And I And the pound was particularly strong against the dollar. Okay. So I just saw my money just disappearing and i and i just i needed somewhere that felt a little bit more relaxed london is not a relaxed place i think no one no one will say that it is but anyway so i um i asked mona hey can i come visit you in vienna i just need a place that's a little less crazy than london to kind of get my head straight you know and she said yes well come visit me sort of the rest is history because i i like she introduced me to all these intellectuals and creative musicians, writers and all these people that she just happened to know and because I couldn't just stay with Mona forever and ever but I liked being in Vienna. It re- it had really charmed me. It had this old Europe magic to it. I started couch surfing and I made a lot of lifelong friends that way actually. I mean this is this was back in 2006 it's 2020. I'm in touch with almost all of them. You got to Vienna, you met all these really interesting people. Yeah. How did you get
0: involved with FM4 or FM Fair as they say in German? It was it was interesting because I had never heard of this radio program or this radio station before until you did the interview with me. And then a few months later, after the interview came out, I had met somebody from Vienna that was here in the hostel. And I said to them, oh, have you ever heard of this radio program? And I thought it was just like a little radio program. And they said, oh, yeah, that's the most popular radio program in Vienna. You know, it's like they're most like, oh, that's really interesting. Okay. So how did you get involved with them?
1: Well, the funny thing is, what I didn't know about Mona was not only was she a great singer and an amazing trip hop band, she also was a radio personality for FM4. And so she saw me hanging out in Vienna and and being sort of reticent to, to go back to the UK, which is where I would planned to be. And you know, I just kept making more and more friends and, and had a music project. And it just seemed like a place for me to, to stay. And she said that she woke up one morning and she was just like, that's it you know, Johnny should work in the radio. And so she got, in, she got a hold of head of production and said, to, said, hey, I know this Canadian guy who's a creative and he's really good and blah, blah, blah. So she typed this and then I receive an email from him and he's like, hey, do you wanna come and record a pilot? So they were like, okay, let's work on giving you a night program. And that was how it, how it all began.
0: What was it about the night program? Was it about travel right away
1: or did you no.
0: transition into travel?
1: No, it had nothing to do with travel. No, it was it was just about music and bands and artists who had new albums and new releases and concerts and stuff like this. So it's just, you know, a music show. And I okay. still have it to, to this day. Let's go to concerts. I would talk to, to people who went to the concerts. Hey, how did you like the show? They would answer me in German, which was also a story because I my German wasn't that good at that point. How my German got to a certain level was through listening to all these Austrians telling me what they thought about this show. And I would have to listen to it over and over and over again until I really understood what they were saying so that I knew I could broadcast it. So which was... it was really a, a freaky experience they have a native language policy so they want me to always talk in english but if i'm talking to an austrian they want the austrian to always talk in german like it, it, it can be a bit of a weird listening in your experience because you're like okay he was in english now we're listening to german now we're in english now we're in german and then it was coming to summertime and i was eligible for a, a cheap travel card that would enable me to travel across austria um for for free uh on the train all summer long and there were all these music festivals so the natural kind of, uh, progression from doing all these like reviews of concerts in vienna was to do a bunch of festivals and go to places and just talk to people in upper austria and wherever so for the summer we came up with this column called johnny's journeys so i was just traveling around austria talking to two people at this stuff and then there was the venice biennale so i said to the radio hey what if i um take johnny's journeys to venice and they said yeah sure So then I went to Venice, and there was this festival in Iceland called Iceland Airwaves, which a friend of mine had told me, oh, it's the best music festival, blah, blah. And as it was coming to my birthday, I said to myself, well, I'm just going to try to get press accreditation. I'm going to go there. And if if FM4 doesn't want features from this festival in Reykjavik, then okay, I just have a nice birthday trip. But if they do want this, then I can really start thinking about, like, you know taking this further so I went to Iceland which has turned out since then to be one of my favorite countries I'm I'm there right now actually I interviewed all these people and I had this amazing time saw all these bands did did everything I would normally do in Austria but in the Icelandic context basically it was just it, it was this massive success so I came back and I was like I could keep doing this and then there was the Vancouver Winter Olympics early the next year so I came to the chief editor and I said hey you know, I this is my old stomping ground. I grew up here. I knew I know all these venues, but that was an exaggeration because <laughs> you were 13. <laughs> yeah, but I was just like, hey, I'm the perfect person. And so they they gave me the, the money for um the flight. I got the accreditation and I went there and and I was just interviewing all, all kinds of people at the uh, at the Olympics. And this felt like a real success
0: expanded a lot further from the first days of doing just around Austria, some of the other countries that you've gone to and done reports.
1: Yeah, well in the context of traveling, uh, let's see, I spent a lot of time in Indonesia. I was in Burma, Myanmar, where I interviewed uh, a monk anonymously when it was still under this kind of very tight military control. I went to South Africa for the World Cup there. I went to Russia years later for the World Cup there. I have been to Iceland every year since 2009. Let's see, I've traveled all over Canada, in the, mm-hmm. uh, so I've seen a lot more Canada than most Canadians. I've traveled, I, of course, all over Austria and continental Europe. I've did, I have did something in Israel, I did uh, something in Dubai, India, Bangladesh, Bangladesh was a special one. Um, Svalbard, Longyearbyen, uh, um, Spitsbergen in, in the North Pole. New Zealand, Australia, I've done a lot of features in Australia. And yeah, Ecuador. <laughs> I was in the Galapagos Islands for my column as well, and China. What would you consider your style
0: to be of your program? What would story you say telling. is your storytelling?
1: What I, what I do is I find the most interesting people who I can who I can around the world. Sometimes I travel great distance to to meet them. For example, uh, our our mutual friend Tony Giles. Uh-huh. I went to London specifically to see him one year <laughs> uh, because uh-huh. I'd heard heard about his adventures as a blind backpacker, and I I, I knew. I wanted to hear his stories i wanted to broadcast them so i so i've often made trips basically for the stories and to meet the people uh, whether it's a a former garment worker uh, at a at textile factories in Bangladesh who's become an activist or it's a person in Toronto who's running a curiosity cabinet uh, called the skull store which sells uh <laughs> skulls and amazing artifacts from all over the world in a conservation-oriented way. Or when I went from India almost directly to Reykjavik so I could interview the comedian mayor of, of Reykjavik at that time, Jan Gunnar, who was a great example of an anti-politician who made a positive difference in the world. You just led right into my
0: to my question, where I was going to ask you, what would you consider your top three most interesting interviews?
1: The thing is, I feel sad if I answer that because there are, I'm probably forgetting some of the most interesting ones. So why don't I say instead here are just like three mind. I mean I've already told you a few of them to be honest. You did. Oh you did. That's why I said that you led into my question. Uh, I mean I may have even already said three names. Let's see. There was there's our our buddy Tony. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's you, you are amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there was the, there's uh, Jan Gunnar, who's who's amazing as well. I've I've met so many interesting Icelanders, authors uh who who uh, are also involved in environmental activism. Uh, Andre Magnussen, who was almost the president of Iceland at one point. Ben Lovett from the, the Skull Store was absolutely fantastic. But if I want to say some new names that I haven't said already. Robert J. Sawyer is a science fiction writer who had a lot of amazing things to, things to say. There were people I met who I didn't properly interview, but I had conversations with who were absolutely fascinating as well. I've met people like uh, Stephen Hawking okay. who I didn't interview because it's difficult it was difficult for him to talk okay. but nevertheless being in the presence of this person was was an honor sometimes it wasn't just about the person though sometimes it was like finding the right people to speak to a story so I did a I did a series about Borneo like uh the the what's going on in Borneo there was a, a bit of an adventure journalism, adventure tourism aspect to it, but there was also sort of, well, you know, logging is having this effect on, on the orangutans and on the, these other local wildlife and what could happen. Uh, West Papua was interesting. That's uh, colonized by Indonesian and, okay. uh, and the indigenous people there uh, really don't like that. And so there has been a lot of armed struggle there. And also there there's a lot of censorship. And uh, one of the things I learned there because sometimes you just kind of go out on these on these journeys and you don't realize what you're getting yourself into, right? You're not if you try to do journalism in West Papua, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble because you're not they do, they don't allow journalists in, and they don't. if a West Papuan activist speaks to you as a, a about the political situation, they can get arrested, disappeared, and all kinds of terrible things can happen. So before going on that trip i didn't realize just how serious the situation was there and so i was messaging some people who knew some people over there and i was like hey do you know somebody i could talk to and blah blah and uh, over facebook and what i didn't realize is that uh, the both australian and the indonesian intelligence service services monitor um facebook uh, yeah, exactly. So, by the time I arrived, there was, I, I guess, a, a file on me, and I remember, like, I was being followed by people, and people would pretend to just be other tourists, but they would do it in really suspicious ways, and they would come and say, oh, so tell me about yourself, what are you doing? You know, I remember I I got on a, a domestic flight to go from one part of West Papua to, a, to another, and a guy sat down next to me, and he had a, he had a, a tablet or something open. And he was immediately taking pictures and he was just like hey i'm from malaysia where are you from click 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 what do you what do you do for a living it, i mean it, it would be funny if it wasn't kind of scary right okay exactly and i think they probably also didn't mind that i that i knew that they were doing this it was to to scare me off of doing that kind of journalism so i even had a moment where i was like okay you know what i wasn't prepared for this <laughs> i'm just not going to do any journalism while i'm here but then people kept wanting to talk to me i made i made, uh, I made contact with with somebody who and I'm not going to go into too much detail because, okay. <laughs> for obvious reasons. But um, but uh, I a, a person got me in touch with some freedom fighters who I ended up interviewing in a hut, in the middle of the jungle, um, about all of this stuff. And I remember sitting sitting there with with these, these freedom fighters, and, and thinking you know this started with me interviewing bands and drunk people at gigs in vienna and look at where i where i am now this is uh, insane so these were like really interesting interviews that uh, maybe i can't name anyone but just the fact that the cultural context of being there the being in the world people gave me the this view into the world that they that they in, inhabit and then i what i i've always loved is the fact that I talk to to this person, whether it's a, a person in a in this remote tribe in West Papua or a a monk who who is protesting the government in Burma or a like this Bangladeshi uh, labor activist, Kalpona actor, she was amazing and, and then I take their i cut cut their their stories down to radio size and I send them to Austria by email and people hear these voices that they they never would have heard otherwise. And, and that was what I really loved about the job, uh, what I, I, I still love about the job, although being the middleman between this, this world and this totally different world.
0: Was there a time where you are like, OK, you know, maybe I should just forget about traveling all over the world and doing this. I should just go back to Vancouver and live a, like a calm life.
1: Well, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, I, I, I was actually thinking about uh, stopping my travel column for a while. If all you've known for a decade is the travel life. That means you don't have a bed that is your bed. That means you start a love affair with this amazing person that you meet, and then you then then two days later you're thousands of kilometers from that person, and it fizzles out. Mm-hmm. It means that you have to find a new place to do your laundry all the time. It means that cooking you miss out on all of, the, all of the cultural phenomena you know people people are talking about tv shows that you don't have time to watch you you miss out you don't ever live anywhere and this is what, this is both the dream but it can also be a nightmare and that's particularly with the kind of journalism i was doing as you can imagine there were large there was a lot of anxiety and stress and things could go wrong i had the dengue fever in timor uh, <laughs> near the end of my indonesia tourist visa and so I, I had to to keep moving, although I was very sick, but also because I had all these flights booked and uh, there was a hurricane coming from Australia that I didn't want to get caught in that and, and end up in a hospital in Timor. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there's uh, you go through all these things or... I I could tell you so many traumatic stories the time my snorkeling boat uh in 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 Indonesia left without me and I was and I was just like oh shit I'm I'm here in the middle of the ocean and there's no boat
0: You're and snorkeling
1: I- and the boat went away yeah. <laughs> and so and, and I, I, I don't swim very often. So after swimming for a while, my arms would spasm, my legs would spasm, and I would just be very uncomfortable. Also, I'd bruised my ribs earlier by jumping onto the boat in the wrong way. So I was just like swimming in this this situation. Funny enough, I wasn't stressed out then. I had this very weird disconnect to what was going on around me. Like I would I would be like, okay, well, this is probably bad. But it, like in this very calm calm way. But then I would like see a turtle swimming underneath me and I'd be like, oh, it's a turtle. Or then I'd see some plastic floating in the water and I'd be like, ah, humans, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm in the middle of the ocean floating here and there's some plastic. This is awful. And then even when I was thinking, OK, well, there's this distant island over there, I guess I'm going to start swimming over there. And so I'm swimming toward this distant island. I had no idea if I would make it there. And the, the end of the story is anticlimactic. Eventually, the, the boat did come back. At some point, they recognized that I was <laughs> Um But I, I, I think I was in the water with no idea what was going on for at least an hour. In West Papua, um, uh, there was uh, some sort of riot that broke out in front of my guest house, glass breaking, people fighting violently. And I remember just being like, oh, shit, you know, this is happening right in front of my room. What if they break into my room? What's going on? Right. And I tried to I I tried to hide under the bed, but the bed was too close to the floor. So finally, I just had to give up and just lie there. The fact that I was being followed the entire time I was there and I I had this strong feeling of responsibility, like I didn't want to accidentally cause somebody else to get disappeared and tortured and murdered. Nor did I want to get trapped there and arrested. Uh, I mean, there was a French film crew who had tried the same thing, and they were less cautious or less lucky, and they they were imprisoned in somewhere in Papua for like six months, I believe.
0: <laughs> you know, wow. so it's.
1: Yeah. And this is a, a heavy uh, malaria area. I I carried so much anxiety, so much PTSD from so many of the the most dangerous things I tried. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm glad that I did those things, but um, at a certain point, continuing to travel was almost like. Um, it was a weird compulsion. I did it because it's what I knew how to do. I did it because I liked it, but I also was... I think also sometimes you keep doing something because it's you think it's all you know how to do at a certain point. There, were, there was definitely a point where I needed to stop. So now that you're thinking of settling down, what does
0: settling down look like to you?
1: Uh, I'm going to tell you the story of what happened with COVID because I think it's really... In a way, I'm a bit embarrassed by the story because so many people have lost so much in this time. And I'm I'm ashamed to say it, but COVID came at precisely the right moment for me. So I had planned, I, I was saving up paid vacation days uh, and I had the intention to stop my travel column roughly on April 1st. <laughs> my okay. plan was April 1st is when I'm going to stop so I can work on a book or more than one book. Okay. And turn my focus to writing because now I have a lot of stories that I want to tell. But, so I I was just like, okay, I'm gonna use up all of my material, and and this is this is the window for like nine, ten months. I I had April first, 2020 on my on my calendar, and that was when I was going to to stop this. So lo and behold, March 13th, all of Austria shuts down, and uh, my travel call. I luckily I've used up almost all of my material by that point. I have hardly anything left. That's good because almost everything I would have had would have been expired because everything everybody's talking about now is so totally different than what they were talking about before. So all of the material, however timeless it might seem, would no longer make sense in the post-COVID world. But then I discovered, we're doing this right now, I discovered that I could do more interesting work in the context of COVID, talking to people all over the world because of the fact that I know so many people everywhere now, uh, that I could talk to you about what's happening this week. We broadcast Three days later, it's still very current. It's not that one of these timeless stories that I would do while I was doing my travel column. It's very present. And so, so you hear a, now you hear a voice from Ecuador about what's happening in Ecuador right now. Now you hear a voice from Melbourne about what's happening uh, for artists and wedding celebrants in Melbourne. Now you okay. hear where the blind backpacker is when he can't backpack. And so he's in self-isolation in England. And what's that like? Okay. So I was actually... The funny thing is, I was burnt out. I was I was burnt out on having to travel to get to collect these stories. I was burnt out on uh, not having a home. I was burnt out on on the stress and the, and the and having to think about twenty things at once all the time. the The fact that we can use these virtual platforms to communicate and to share our stories and that it works out as well as it does and it sounds as high quality as it does, this is a a godsend. It, it's given a sort of um second life to my career i no longer feel like stopping because i don't have to necessarily be physically in a place to tell a good story covid showed me that i was able to collect amazing stories with, without spending all the money and going to all the work and exhausting myself and burning myself out and exposing myself to whatever diseases and you know all this stuff and that that sort of rejuvenated me because I do love this is what I love. You know, this conversation, this sharing, exactly. uh, I, it's hard to burn out on that.
0: Where would you see yourself? Where would you see yourself physically if you're not moving about?
1: Well, at the moment, I mean, Vienna has become very homely. So certainly for for the time being, let's say, I'm, I'm quite content doing everything I'm doing in Vienna. So, of course, there is also the thought about, well, You know, I'm from the west coast of Canada. It could be nice to spend some some more time over there.
0: Now that we're coming towards the end, my
1: final question is,
0: what would be something that you've learned through all these experiences that you could share with the audience?
1: I think the, the best part about all of this, absolutely the best part, is all the connections I've forged with people. So I'm staying with somebody I consider who's like a mother to me. Uh, I call her my Icelandic mum. Okay. I visit her every year, you know. So I'm so far away from my my blood family, but at least I'm able to see uh, my Icelandic family. Right. Okay. I, I'm. I just feel so grateful that I've encountered so many inspiring, adventurous, storytelling people who live in their own in their own way. And I think it's been really good for me as well because I've surrounded myself with so many. People who all dance to the rhythm of their own drum—that—that that for me, doing things your own way is normal, right? Okay. Uh, like I—I I, I am surrounded by—I uh, oh, have been inspired by so many people who—who who are absolute heroes, and I think that's what you encounter when you're traveling. You meet—you meet so many heroes. Exactly. You know? Our times come to an end, so it was
0: nice talking with you and catching yeah. up, and I'm sure we could actually. Do this again another time and maybe go into one particular story. But for now, enjoy the rest of your time in Iceland. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Johnny's contact information will be in our podcast notes. As mentioned in the show, next week's episode will be the interview that I did with Johnny a few years back here in the Cafecito in Cuenca, Ecuador. Please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you're someone who likes to write, we're still looking for some more written stories. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please take a look at the podcast notes to get the information on how to do so. Special thanks go out to Marshall, our editor. Looking forward in the future to having the opportunity for us to meet up. But for now, all the best and please take care.